0: People who are one generation down from me will watch Twitch casually in yeah. an open office oh, yeah. while they're working. Mm-hmm. Totally acceptable. Or, or YouTube. Yeah. And it melts my brain. <laughs> it, it's like I got used to it and I'm like, oh, OK, they're just working away. But the first time I saw yeah. it, it was like I had seen like a naked body in the middle of the office. I was like, what's happening? Yeah. Hey, Gina Trapani.
1: Hi, Paul Ford.
0: You know what's hard? What's hard? Managing.
1: <laughs> software is easy, Paul.
0: People. <laughs> software people is actually impossible. <laughs> but you know what's worse?
1: <laughs> no, no, the problem is the software. The problem is the people using the
0: software. Well, managing people who ship software, who are really smart <laughs> people, is really hard.
1: It, it is.
0: They're smarter than you. They know more than you. It's true. And you want them to be happy.
1: You can tell this is a part of our everyday experience here oh, at Host Light. God, it's
0: hard. It's very rewarding. It's very challenging. Yeah. I truly would never feel qualified to write a book on it. Yeah. We have someone here today on the podcast who is qualified to write a book on it. <laughs>
1: And in fact, did.
0: And in fact, did. Laura Hogan, welcome to Track Change.
2: Thank you so much. I've been trying to hold back laughter during that whole intro because I feel that on a deep level. We might
0: have played up the gloom a little I, bit. No, I that. appreciate
2: it. It's true. Actually, that's mostly why I wrote this book, because it's, it's a gloomy prospect, managing.
0: First of all, tell the people, what is the book called? Yes.
2: The book is called Resilient Management. It is out on a book apart.
0: And why would you be the right person to write this book?
2: Yeah, this is like the heyday right now of management books, it seems. There's so many good ones. So what I was hoping to add to the canon was a bunch of stuff about frameworks and tools about the brain science behind behind humans, behind managing them, and a bunch about how to weather the very natural storms that happen organizationally and on your team when you're a manager and when you're working around people who probably aren't very like you. What are you like? Uh, I am a nerd that happens to love management, I felt qualified to write this book mostly because I enjoy it so much. That I knew I could give back in this way, my my little bit of joy to help people for whom this is maybe less than joyful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you, you always have that moment with like a senior lead engineer where you're like, hey, like, how are you doing? You're doing great. Mm-hmm. Are you by chance, like, let's talk about your career path. Are you interested mm-hmm. in maybe managing someday? And then you get the very wide oh uh, yeah, the deer in the headlights. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm one of those weirdos that enjoyed it from the start. I managed for a very long time. I became eventually a director of engineering at Etsy. Before then going to Kickstarter and running the whole engineering team there for a bit before beginning my own coaching and training practice, supporting managers and emerging leaders of all kinds. So I've seen the spectrum of folks and that deer-in-the-headlight stare and tried to support them for many years through that
0: continual deer-in-the-headlight stare. Now, your starting base, you were you were a developer?
2: I was, yeah. I'm a self-taught front-end developer.
0: Okay, yes. so you're front-end developer you're developing the front end mm-hmm. and they come along and they say you seem Hey smart. Hogan. Yeah. Hogan.
2: Yes. It's funny. I actually asked for it. They you, weren't good like for you. You, know, you knew.
0: You were like I I, yeah, I want to try this. I want to try this. What is the thing you wanted to try?
2: I was so frustrated with how ineffective things seemed to be. I was also at the time at a company where the two people in charge were not experienced leaders. This was really their first role. It was the kind of like, you know, build our company in our dorm room style of a company. I had had a number of leadership positions before, you know, in college, it was the General manager of a radio station, the president of a few clubs. Like I'd sent some emails, you know, mm-hmm. I'd had some hard conversations. and So I was like, "What yeah. if I just tried helping in this per- very particular way?" So I wanted to. The inefficiency really was what was getting under my skin. <laughs> so
0: most most developers would have solved that by like writing a bash script and <laughs> just waiting, <laughs> yes. and then complaining it didn't work out. Yes, one hundred percent. That's my management strategy.
2: Well. Was bananas for me in this first role. Was you know I thought that everyone else was like me. Like wouldn't they love me just dumping buckets of process? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, you learned and the like, answer to that oh, question real yeah. fast. So one of my first, one of my first direct reports gave me the silent treatment after our first big project together, because Ooh. he was so frustrated, not, not necessarily with my behavior, although I'm sure that contributed to it, but mostly he was a really young, fresh out of college person who didn't really know how to work in an office environment or give feedback. And so his way of responding to his frustration was to literally give me the silent just treatment. Just shut down. Yeah. No. And like as and a first time manager. Because
0: maybe you'll go away. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That'll make it better. Yeah. And so thank goodness I was being managed by someone who was really good at being a manager. And he was able to explain to me like, hey, listen, not everybody's like you. Like, and I get that you don't understand why he's giving you the silent treatment and it seems like a really, again, inefficient way of behaving. But here's some maybe tactics to try, some things, to, some empathy to build maybe. And that was really, that was helpful, really helpful. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: so this is a theme, right? Because you said that you know, managing different kinds of people mm-hmm. is the focus. Do you bucket them in your head? like, Or is everyone <laughs> special? Or like, how, how do you do it?
2: It's funny, the way I usually think about it is is what core need is being threatened or undernourished for them? Their reaction to that tells me a lot about them. But really, it's like we all have one or or sometimes multiple core needs that we care about most. And there's this framework I talk about in the book, the acronym for which is BICEPs. (laughs) And this acronym stands for the six core needs that humans have at work. You know, social scientists, neurologists, anthropologists have been studying humans, and they found that, that we have these core needs.
0: What's biceps stand for?
2: I know, right? So the one I just mentioned was that inefficiency thing that that tends to be mine, that and, and significance. So the inefficiency one, that tends to be like we want to feel a sense of making improvement or progress towards a goal that could be for ourselves, for our project, for our career, for our team. So that's the I. I'm mm-hmm. skipping over the B, which is we want to feel a sense of belonging to a group. We mm-hmm. want to understand how we relate to this group who's around us. The C stands for choice, right? We all wanna have some level of autonomy over our work work lives, workspace. E is for equality and fairness. We all wanna believe that the world is fair, everybody has access to what they need to survive. The P is for predictability, right? If every moment was 100% full of surprises, How would that feel? At the S is for significance, which is effectively status. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, and the the exercise is like think about a moment when you when you reacted strongly, you had a surprising emotion to something that otherwise feels like rational and Mm -hmm. logical, but it turns out. Our amygdala, which is, you know, the, the thing that considers threats and rewards, when it, when it senses that a threat is heading towards us, it goes into overdrive and it tells our prefrontal cortex, which is the rational, logical, complex problem-solving part of our brains, to go on standby. Because mm-hmm. this is what's helped us survive for millennia. So, biceps. Biceps. Do we
0: mm-hmm. need managers? Great
2: question. <laughs> I get this one sometimes, and I it cracks me up. I also I also get the question like, is an, is resiliency important in management? <laughs> and the answer to both, I think, is yes, because implicitly or explicitly, management's happening. And when I think about management, it's like setting clear expectations and giving feedback and being responsible for people's like overall experience at an organization. So that's going to happen regardless. So I'm going to say like, it's important to have managers, whether or not you label it that way. Although yeah. I think it's important to label it.
0: And we know that people are varied and full of wonders. We know that. <laughs> what are the different kinds of managers?
2: I coach. So I coach, you know, plenty of different kinds of folks, different titles, different backgrounds, different experiences. But mostly it comes down to like, how much are they deputized to be a manager versus not?
0: What, uh, what's a good team size?
2: Everybody's different, I think, on this. And it really depends on what you're trying to do and who you are as a human. My personal preference tends to be between five and seven people on, like, for my direct reports. And then on an individual team, like, usually four to five people it tends to be my sweet spot. Like, I know how to manage that. Mm-hmm. But everybody's different. What's yours?
0: Oh, God, I don't know. I mean, I just think about the different patterns. I see, like, a giant mm-hmm. TV show that mm-hmm. has a different, you know, there are clusters, but there's also a sense of, like, the whole thing has to work together that night with lots of cross cutting yeah. and lots of like, you can't actually yeah. fall onto hierarchy when you need to make a decision in 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And so, so just Some different. Do. Path. No, of course. Right? <laughs> yeah. do, do you think
1: it has to do with the manager, the manager's capacity or like the, the organization? There's also like yeah. managers who are frontline mm-hmm. who then report to directors who then have all these people rolling up to them, but only through one or two met. Like it's, yeah. it depends really kind of it's a and an org.
2: Yeah. And which is why I have no good succinct dancer. It's like every everything's going to be so dependent, which is a really unsatisfactory response. I have one manager in my past who used to refer to it as, how many people does he have room in his heart for? Mm, <laughs> and for him, that was like 40. He has, he has oh, room wow. for 40 people that's, in his heart. That's Not necessarily
1: ex- directly managing. I would have
0: for Zero. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's an interesting way to phrase it, like room in your heart, meaning yeah. like, who, how many people do I have the like sort of emotional and yeah. mental bandwidth to yeah. like try to sit, like sit down with, understand, empathize with, coach, support, like, support, mm-hmm. like you know, gather the effort, or at least for me, it would take to like give them a hard, hard feedback. Like how many yeah. people can I actually do that with and, and not go home at night? Just completely exhausted. Yeah. It's actually a decent way to frame it.
2: Yeah. And it came up because his organization had grown to like 65.
0: right? <laughs> right. And so right. you
2: start to feel that to feel stretching. It. Yeah.
0: Okay. Engineering Management versus other kinds of management. Yes, yes, so. yes, yes.
2: Okay. So I hear a lot of engineers talking about, or engineering managers or CTOs or VPs of engineering talking about how they need someone who has a background in engineering to come in and help and support their folks because because oh. they they firmly believe that they need someone with like a shared understanding, shared experience, shared expertise, shared, shared lingo mm-hmm. in order to support these folks and i am vehemently against this idea. Interesting. Engineering managers especially feel like there's a, this is like a special a special field, a special discipline. And my my general response to that is like it's totally true that engineering managers have a specific set of jargon, set of experiences, but so does every other discipline. Like design managers are also – like literally every every function should feel the same way. But I always get it from engineers. And And there are some thought leaders – in our, in our industry that love to, to talk this up as if engineering management is, is uniquely something that's special.
1: I mean, I, I think particularly in engineering, like leaders emerge by virtue of their like expertise and yes. their code reviews and their like teaching other people things. And then so people kind of default gather around those folks is like, yeah. hey, can I get you to take a look at my thing? And now I want your approval. And how do I become more like you? <sighs> I think that particularly happens in engineering although it probably happens in other disciplines well, I think as you're, well
0: you're talking there are industries where practitioners tend to lead yeah and so and get and then that's the great tension in engineering is it does favor the practitioner as the leader and right. there's always the narrative of like the practitioner who shouldn't have been promoted
1: yes they were more successful
0: as an ic so right. that's the drama i mean i think that's also like you know i'm running this software company but the, i wouldn't go to nasa like I just, right. like, you know, there, there are places that are like you need to come up through the ranks
2: for yeah. sure. And but it's 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 management is its whole other discipline from how you grow as a strong engineering leader. I mean, there's definitely yeah. overlaps in terms of sure. of skill sets, but like overall, you still have to learn a whole bunch of new stuff when you become a manager. Right. So right. when I come into these organizations, often I'm brought in by a CTO or a VPE, and they're like, "We want you to come because you have this background." And like, don't get me wrong. I love this work. It's great work. But I often push them to make whatever workshop I'm doing cross-functional. Mm-hmm. Because, again, right. this is this should not be just for the engineers or the engineering managers in the room. It should be really for everybody because this stuff is going to be cross-cutting.
1: My experience with engineering managers or the idea of engineers considering be, becoming managers is that there's – I think this is probably true for all managers, but particularly with engineers who deal with computers – and code all day and it either builds or it doesn't. Like the idea of being responsible for a human being who may respond in very unpredictable ways (laughs) and being responsible for what that human being does and then having to address what that human being does, like it's way easier to pour through the stack trace in the console, right? Um, (laughs) More predictable.
0: You're good at managing the one kind of risk and then the other one is a very different kind of risk.
1: Right. Like it's interesting to me that you were drawn to management also. I I mean like it's funny. I, I look at, Leadership and management is like I can have a bigger impact in the world the more people who I can have influence over because we can have a big bigger impact together and that is just a special skill and that yeah. not everybody has and like that if that's the way I can contribute that's great but I think that that is, can be terrifying for some yeah. people and also it is a new skill and more time that you have to spend not coding yes or or whatever it is that you do in your engineering career which can also feel uh, scary because am I going to lose credibility or am I going to fall behind because I'm like dealing with this you know. PT request or personnel issue, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you have managers come to you and it turns out that they actually really don't want to be managers and they don't like it. And what is your, what's your advice to them, especially when management just seems like a natural progression in one's career? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's tough when, when
2: within an organization, there aren't those two tracks. So many organizations these days, thankfully have a distinct, you know, management track and like individual contributor leadership track. So when it's not clear, when you're in an organization, it's not clear how you move up, how you acquire more power or like authority yeah. without going to management. It's really tough. So just generally speaking for people, when they come to me and they're like, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. They often say it hesitantly as if I'm going to judge them for not wanting to be a manager. Right. But I hope that they see, you know, after, after I respond, like how much I don't think people should be managers when they just don't want to do it. Like right. yeah. just because you're good at something also doesn't mean you need it. you should be the person doing it. Yeah. So I am strongly of the mind that like you shouldn't have to be a manager. Now, again, within an organization, there might be circumstances in which you can only grow, you can only influence others, you can only whatever by becoming a manager. And for those people, I really hope they start to think about other ways of changing and influencing the company outside of that. Because there's there's so many good books right now on like change management, like Switch, How to Change Things When Change is Hard, is my number one recommendation for folks who are interested in like gaining more influence, but without maybe
1: becoming a manager yeah I especially I worry personally about women in technology oh, also yeah. being pushed toward management roles or more you know like I'm doing the air quote soft skill roles because yes. they're like oh you know people are like oh you know how to communicate and people really like you right. so you should do this thing yeah. and, and, and some women are like I just want to be a like practitioner yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Sitting> here, <Gina. laughs> I've gotten a lot me. of lovely compliments about my communication skills and that has led me toward a lot more softer you yeah. know kind of softer skill roles in yeah. my career and there's just balance of like, oh, but I want to be a practitioner and, right. and, and figuring out. And that like, even if you're good at it, doesn't necessarily mean that you should do it or you can mm-hmm. get better at the things that you do. What do you think about like uh, the manager sort of chameleon? So a friend of mine just introduced me to the skill will matrix. So, like when you have a report who's sort of in a different place, like high skilled, but don't really know how to use those skills versus like really, really eager the general question is like if you have reports in just a different place, do you respond differently as a manager? Oh, or you yeah. just say, like, this is my style, and I'm gonna sort of apply it differently to different people.
2: Yeah, I, I genuinely
1: think that you should be
2: um like adaptable yeah. both to the people who you're who you're working with and to the like situation and environment that you're in and what you're trying to get accomplished. There's a whole section in the book about adapting your leadership style based on what people need. Mm-hmm. And everybody has obviously like a different, a different default style. Like mine right. tends to be a very coachy style, even before I, I I got coach training. It tended to be lots of quest- open questions, believing right. that people have the answers inside themselves. But frankly, not everyone wants that. Like, I remember early on when I was doing lots of, yeah, so what's important about this? <laughs> what does success look like? I remember getting right. the, the dead stares of, like, just tell me what to do. Laura, <laughs> come right, on. Right, right, right. Um, it took me a long time to realize, like, I had to be adaptable. I had to be, to be flexible and also to understand that, like, what I need to give someone – It's going to depend on the situation and the person. So, again, maybe this person really wants to grow in this one – I love the will skill. I need – I can't wait to look (laughs) this up. But, like, the business doesn't need it right now. Like As a manager, you have to navigate supporting them, helping them feel supported, but also being like, oh, I don't think that there's time for this right now.
1: Tell me about – how would you choose a title? Like, what is resilient – management mean to you? It took
2: so long. There's so many skills that I tried to underscore about human growth and resilience. So it was both like, how do we grow? How do we evolve as humans and not just stagnate and not just feel like we're, we're left there alone? And how do you, again, remain resilient to weathering those organizational mm-hmm. and team storms that are necessarily going to happen no matter what environment we're working in?
1: I feel like a manager too, like part of your job is to like buffer your team Mm -hmm. from the chaos raining down from above. Yes. (laughs) But it's hard hard to know where to draw the line. Like you want to keep them
2: informed. You want to be transparent. But like you don't want to, you can't let them know everything that's happening because they're going to freak out and it's your responsibility to handle that. Um, I have a whole section in the book about like what to do when you've got some confidential information and you really want to share with somebody. Yeah. How do you, like what's your rubric that you should go through to be like, yep, this is safe for me to share. It's okay for me to burden them. They are going to keep it to themselves. It's all of that stuff and what do you do when you're
1: tasked with communicating information that you disagree with? That's a tough Oof. one. It's a yeah. real, right. Like I, I got this down from my boss and mm-hmm. now it's coming down to you mm-hmm. and I got to say it as if I believe it and yep. I'm agree with it, but and I really don't. Right. Like, and you can't. What if they smell it on me? Yeah. You know, it's yeah, that. Yeah.
2: yeah yes. Absolutely. The whole, there's a whole section on all of these things. Oh, so that's like, so very common. Very useful. Well.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> because it, you know the buffering goes the other way too. oh yeah oh, yes. like it's like something happened on my team a personal personnel issue happened on my team i don't need to roll this up the execs the mm-hmm. execs don't need to know the details of no. my reports like issue right but like sh- yeah. but sharing just enough information that you need to in order to make sure that that person gets what they need in order for us to go forward like it's a tough i think like it's one of the toughest parts of the job oh, absolutely because also your manager
2: It has a lot of other things going on that they want to pay attention to, and you might not be able to necessarily. I'm looking at you, Paul, straight across the thing. Get them to care about this issue that you need them to get to to care about. Like, how do you translate? Like, how do you, um, yeah, how how can you do that translation to get them to both listen and get provide just the right amount of context and detail?
0: Mm -hmm. When do we need to fire a manager? When does i I'll tell you my rubric. My
2: rubric is like. What is the impact to the rest of the team? So I do like a little cost-benefit analysis. So sometimes obviously there's, there's like business impact of this manager, whether or not their whole team is underperforming or there's something else going on. That's I feel like a little bit more cut and dry. The harder ones is when you, you know that they're trying but you can see that it's costing those humans that they're there to support. Because as we all know, humans like managers have this like area of impact that's so much larger than other, other individuals. So for me, it's like, okay, how's the rest of the team doing? Are they surviving? Are they learning through this experience? And how much time and effort can I put into supporting this person? Because sometimes I'll have plenty of time to like sit in with them, coach them, mentor them, you know, provide them, give them gut checks. And other times in my career, I do not have that time to give. That's also unfortunately got to play into when it's time to fire a manager.
0: What do you look for when you hire a manager?
2: I often look for someone who is going to think about sponsorship. So sponsorship is feeling on the hook to help get someone someone else promoted. Often managers you know, kind of like go back to mentoring mode for for helping people grow. I want to look for someone who's going to coach and sponsor their Tell people. What's the difference between mentoring and sponsoring? Yes. So mentoring is like advice giving, perspective sharing, talking about what you've seen work or not work, um, sharing pitfalls that they should avoid. It's, it's very problem solving-y and it's as the manager, it's all about you, right? You get to like tell them what to do. Even though it doesn't feel that way, it feels really good because you're able to share this expertise. It's super right. different than coaching, which is effectively asking open questions that because you believe this other person already has the answers inside themselves. So you're not there to give them advice. You're not there to like share pitfalls. You're just there to be like, okay, cool. What are some other leaders you would ad- you admire? Like how do they do this thing? Or what's the number one thing you want your teammates to know about you? Or my, my number one favorite coaching question that I use all the time is, what are you optimizing for? Because it mm-hmm. just like kicks off this little brain wave. And so we want to spend time there as managers, but instead of just being like, here's some advice, here's how you do this thing, because that actually doesn't, doesn't help people grow. It helps helps people get unblocked. It helps people onboard, but it doesn't help them grow. So yeah, I look for coaching skills, which is that secondary set of skills and right. sponsorship.
1: How do you measure when? I mean, you're a coach now. This is your full time yeah, gig. It's the best. <laughs> you're good at it. It's good. Oh, thank you. How do you measure like success there? Like, do, you have, oh, do I have know. people come back? Do you have uh, like, yeah. or is it just like bigger and more interesting problems? Like, <laughs> I get this question a lot
2: from like people who are are thinking about hiring me. Like, how and it feels right. like they have like a sheet in front of them and they feel like they've got mandatory questions to ask me. Which one right. of them is almost always? How do you measure the success of coaching? And I usually make a joke about how many people. Who I've coached who have uh, been promoted to VPE, <laughs> which is just like not—that's not true. I mean, it's not right. true. That that happens a lot, but like that's not actually a metric of success, <laughs> right? I, for me, honestly, it's like how much can they go and coach others it's so like how much are they able to stop mentoring straight up and actually start to grow other humans by coaching them and also obviously sponsoring them too that's my number one metric of success which i often can't see unless right. i go and ask them
1: <laughs> later. right right yeah. yeah 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 what do you say to people or reports or anyone people or managers who are struggling with with team members who are like I just really want to be senior. Like, yeah, I, like yeah. who, who focus on the title. You know, like, this is a representation of, like, progression in my career. And so what do I have to do to get to be senior? <laughs> yes. Well, and it's, it's it's almost comical to me how much this has turned into, like, a checkbox question. Yeah. Like, what are the things
2: I need to check off my list? And in yeah. what time, what's the shortest amount of time I could possibly do this in, in order to make it to the next level? I try to help reframe it for people um, so that they could go and enter this information back. It's, like, less about a checkbox. Yeah. And more, for me, it's more about, like, area scope of impact. So like, how can we help this person demonstrate area of impact? To the people that they work with. So, you know, I would say like someone who's mid-level is going to impact their team. A senior person is probably impacting their team plus like one concentric circle outside of that. You know, it's stakeholders.
1: Exactly. Or yeah. Yeah.
2: I, I keep on thinking about like a principal engineer will be influencing the entire company and also the industry. So like right. that's a, it's that area of impact. So I try to help kind of reframe it in terms of a little bit of a squishier thing rather than check boxes and, and brainstorm with them. What are some ways that they could demonstrate this and how can we keep on checking in on it over time? And you, Usually I recommend
1: putting in like a little calendar reminder. It's like, let's
2: check in on this in three months to see where it's at. Right,
1: mm-hmm. right. I feel like the gamification of everything, plus LinkedIn, plus just like status, like I think titles, oh, yeah. and maybe this is just my, I don't know, maybe this is a wrong perception, but it feels like titles have gotten like a lot more important. It's
2: so important. Well, actually, it in- genuinely is important, especially right. for I'm
1: members of underrepresented groups in our industry. Yeah, like without definitely. the titles, it's really
2: hard right. to prove. It's like my credential. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. I prove that I, I can do this. Yeah. 100%.
0: But is that the goal? A lot of human beings are very title oriented.
2: Well, again, it comes back to those core needs of of understanding your significance. Like, where right, where status. do I sit in this hierarchy? Like, how can I understand where I am relative to everybody else? And am I being assessed fairly? Coming back to the equality and fairness core need. So it it often comes down to those things. Also, again, belonging. How do I relate to the rest of this group? I mean, really, right. core needs are everywhere.
0: You walk into the room, it's all on fire. Like, what's the? It feels like most of the time you walk in, and you just from your your general attitude and from the book, you're like we've got a lot of capable people here and we're going to work together and try to find at least some optimum solution. <laughs> yes. so a time when you walk in and you're just like, oh no, oh my God, I can't, what am I going to do? I'm yeah, out. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. So I, yeah, I feel like my my general rule of thumb is like read the room. Who else is in this room and what are their reactions? Because I'm going to need to get them under control first so that we can try to figure this thing out. If people are still like have that deer in the headlights stare, for example, I'm like, okay, let's just like figure out those folks first and get them to chill out or leave the room. That way we can get down to business.
0: When you coach big company versus small company, what differences do you note?
2: Often, larger companies have so much historical context that people who have been there, especially if they've been for, there for a long time, they they have like brought up with them. So there's often like, oh, yep, when we moved desks thirty years ago, here's a thing that happened. Right. But it's funny because because I'm gonna say like in a startup or in a smaller company, that stuff is happening, but it's fresh. Like, mm. this, they're still healing from those scars. Okay. So, like, the thing that I'm going to bring up, it might not be like, oh, let me think back to historically when we've done this before and how that hurt. It's like, oh, yeah, you mean last week when we had to move desks? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can think about a time when I was recently
1: traumatized at work. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right, right, So, speaking of moving desks, what do you think are the, har- or the hardest things that managers have to deal with?
2: I use I used desk moves as my example in almost all my talks these days because it's
1: just so relatable. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and like speak of, speaking of, like, status that, um, belonging how i like relate to the rest of the organization exactly. it's
2: every single one Fairness. of the cornies <laughs> And it's otherwise rational and logical, right? You just got right. this group of people sitting in one area of the floor. You just need to move, to move it somewhere else. It shouldn't be so emotional. It and is yet, very emotional. I joke in the course of my management career, it's the number one most emotional, like
0: traumatic <laughs> thing people. No, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> should we mix? So we're in a corner, the whole management team, and we're we're we're. It's you know we're flat. It's pretty open. Should we mix it up and be in in with everybody, or should we stay together as a management team?
2: I'm shaking my head. Don't don't mix it up. It's just that's gonna weird everybody out. Because they'll read your energy. They're constantly watching your energy to be like, what is Was the temperature of the room today? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's actually better to be a little yet, bit out of view. I think so.
0: I feel slightly more qualified to manage now.
1: I feel way more qualified to yeah. manage now. Everyone should get this book. It's I think true. anyone who's yeah. even thinking about leadership should get this book. Oh, no, resilient get management. This book.
2: Yes, resilient management is out now. You can find it on a bookapart.com.
0: Laura Hogan, thank you.
2: Thank you so much.
0: Gina, you know, if somebody really wanted to help us out, the first thing they could do, of course, is give us a large multi-month engagement to help them build their digital platform. But if not that, what's the next most important thing they could do?
1: If you're listening to the show and you like the show, come to iTunes, tell us about it. Tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like, but mostly tell us what you like.
0: And let's let's think about the number of stars. That's the right number of stars.
1: Five stars is definitely the right number of stars. We'll take any number of stars. No, we will be great. take
0: five stars, Gina. Five. Five stars. Anything less is like suddenly I don't get to drive the Uber anymore. It's true. It's true. That's it. Go for five and send us an email. Hello at postlight.com. We love your emails.